Happy New Year, everyone. Aren't you glad to finally be able to say that, to turn the page on the year 2020? Aren't we all happy to say goodbye, adios, adieu, ciao, auf Wiedersehen to this past year and move on to 2021? I know I am. I think we are all anticipating something better out of 2021. But sadly, at least one person thought the year 2020 should end with a bang. And I mean that literally. I won't say his name, but a man allegedly decided to load up his RV with homemade explosives, drive to the center of Nashville early Christmas morning, and then broadcast this bizarre warning and a countdown to the bomb blast while playing the song Downtown, you know, which is a Petula Clark hit from 1964. And then he blows himself up. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, right? I mean, truth really is stranger than fiction. But what caught my eye about this incident were the six police officers who were first on scene, who quickly went around the neighboring streets to evacuate anyone who might be in the, you know, the radius of the bomb blast. And due to their efforts, the only person killed in the explosion was the alleged bomb maker himself. But here's what struck me. During the TV interview with these police officers, uh, Officer James Wells described how after the area had been cleared of people, he started walking back towards the RV looking for the other officers to make sure they were all okay. And this is what he said, and I quote, This might not be politically correct, but this is my truth. And I literally heard God tell me to turn around and go check on Topping, that's his partner's name, uh, who was by herself down on Broadway. As I turned around, for me it felt like it took three steps and the music stopped, and as I kept walking back towards Officer Topping, I just see orange, and then I hear a loud boom. Officer Wells said that God told him to walk away from the RV just moments before it exploded. I mean, isn't that amazing? God somehow sent him a message to turn around just at the right time, so he was just far enough away that when the RV exploded, he wasn't hurt. But what's more amazing is that his partner, Officer Amanda Topping, said the exact same thing. In the interview with her, she said that something told her to change directions moments before the blast. She was walking towards the RV. Then she saw Officer Wells, and she turned directions, started walking towards him. That's when the RV exploded. She says, I just saw the biggest flames I've ever seen, the biggest explosions, she said. And then she just saw, saw orange and felt a heat wave as Officer Wells stumbled. Wells picks up the story and said, I just took off in a full-out sprint, and I ran towards Topping, made sure she was okay. We kind of met in the middle, and we just grabbed each other. And then they ducked into a doorway in case there was going to be a, a secondary blast. Officer Wells goes on to say this, I am a spiritual person, and so I truly believe that when I do this job, I'm led by that voice. How I treat people, how I go about doing this job every day, that's what guides me. And I truly believe that that's what guided me in that sense, because I was literally getting ready to walk back towards the RV. And you watch the video, you can see that moment of clarity for me when I heard God say, go and check on topping. That voice, he said, is what allowed him to see his kids and his wife on Christmas. Both officers said God spoke to them in some way that caused them to change the direction they were walking. There was a divine intervention for both of them. Now, do you believe that's really possible? Do you believe that there is a God who could and would actually intervene in the lives of these two police officers and purposefully 
send them both a message, a warning that ends up saving both of their lives. Do you really believe that there is a God who interacts with the world in this kind of real, tangible way? That real communication can happen back and forth between God and people through what we can only be called the power of prayer. You see, there are basically only two ways for people to look at the universe. There's the naturalistic worldview and there's the spiritual worldview. The naturalistic worldview says, yeah, maybe that's what really dominates our culture, I would guess. That, that The naturalistic view means that people look at the universe as just like a closed system. It's just a box. Somehow compressed energy expanded in the big boom, threw out particles and energy out into space, and our universe was born. But that universe is a box made up of entirely of natural things, of cause and effect. And there is nothing outside the box, nothing that could influence that system of cause and effect. And so with time and chance, things just came together. Over billions of years, somehow, life happened. We can only guess how. But there was no guiding hand, no unseen force at work behind the scenes. The universe developed on its own. Somehow humans came into being, and we don't really know how or why that happened, but there is no purpose behind their creation. It's all inside the box. It's cause and effect. And somehow you came into being, but you still really have no purpose that comes from outside. You live and die. Then your energy gets dispersed back into the cosmos like a drop of rain returning to the ocean. And that's it. Any belief in some eternal soul or a supernatural being that cares about you or interacts with you, it's just wishful thinking. We are on our own. The other view is spiritual, meaning that the universe is not a closed system. There is a force outside the box of nature, a force we call God, a force that decided, designed, influenced, guided the creation and development of the universe over billions of years. Things did not come about purely by chance or accident, but by God's creative power. You did not come about by chance or accident, but by God's creative power. So nature is not just a closed system of cause and effect. The creator God continues to interact with this naturalistic box that he created. God works in and through the natural, but God also can work in more than the natural. Things outside the ordinary so-called laws of nature are possible. Things that we would call miracle or spiritual, like hearing a voice that tells you to move away from a bomb seconds before it explodes. You see, prayer only makes sense if you believe there is a God who interacts with the world we live in, a God who listens, a God who cares, a God who actually chooses to get involved. But here's the thing. Too many Christians say they believe in a God like that. They say they believe in the spiritual world where God gets you know, involved in the messy details of life. But on a practical level, they act as if God doesn't exist. On a practical level, they act as if God doesn't hear, doesn't care, doesn't get involved. And so people will say that they're spiritual and that they have a spiritual worldview, but if you really look at the way they really live and how they make decisions, how they handle problems, how they spend their money and their time, what they're passionate about, how they treat people, then you would have to conclude that actually they do not believe in a God who gets involved. They live as naturalists while saying they are spiritual. Now, make no mistake about it, we live in a praying age. According to a recent Pew Research Center study, 76% of, of all Americans 
pray regularly. Across the board, 76% of all Americans pray. And the people who pray the most, guess who? The Jehovah's Witness. 90% of them pray every day as opposed to 79% of evangelical Protestants who pray daily. Mormons also pray more frequently than evangelical Protestants, with 85% of them praying daily. So if we were to take our own survey about prayer among our own people, I don't really know what the results would say. Would we be greater or less than the national average? I'm not sure. How would you respond to a survey about your prayer life? Did you know that, if you, can, that you can rearrange the letters of the word Presbyterian to make the phrase best in prayer? Best in prayer? Is that accurate? Are Presbyterians best in prayer? I'm not sure we would be able to claim that title. But honestly, most of the prayer that's going on isn't really prayer from a biblical point of view. Most of the prayer is just about two things. First, it's praying to get something and kind of treats God as our cosmic bellboy. God's job is to make me happy, of course. I need something, I want something, I ring the bell of prayer and God's supposed to answer me like room service. Often people will pray like that in an emergency, like you know, in the movies there's a crisis, people do everything they can, exhaust all their resources, and then some pious person looks to heaven and says, all we can do now is pray. Pray is just the last act of desperation. Once we've done all that we can do by our own power, then you just tack on a prayer at the end just to cover all your bases. And then you expect God, you know, it's going to come through for us. People say they are spiritual, but on a practical level with that kind of prayer, they're really acting as naturalists. And their approach to prayer is like, you know, it's just crossing their fingers. Then there are the people who pray for prayer's therapeutic benefits. Prayer is kind of on the same level as yoga, meditation, biofeedback. It's reduced to a technique, a means to achieve less stress, lower blood pressure, to calm anxiety. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to lower your stress. I am all for that. But far too many people, too many Christians even, kind of treat prayer as just kind of a placebo to help you feel better. Something that's entirely within the box of the natural world. And people... They actually don't really expect God to show up. Another way to say what I'm trying to get at is this, that does prayer ever bring anything to pass that wouldn't have happened if you didn't pray? Does prayer ever bring anything to pass that wouldn't have happened if you didn't pray? That's something I want us all to think about for the coming year, because I believe this is going to be a year when we need to pray, and we're going to need to believe in the power of prayer. And that through earnest prayer to God, through the mediation of Christ and the Holy Spirit, prayer changes things. God speaks to us through prayer, and God acts in response to our faithful prayers. And so more than anything this year, I want you to be a person of prayer. Now this past fall, we've been going through the New Testament book called the Acts of the Apostles. We shorten it, just call it sometimes the Book of Acts or just Acts. We're going to continue that study and finish Acts by the time the season of Lent begins in mid-February. If you uh, read through Acts, one of the things you'll discover is that the early church was a praying church. They definitely believed God got involved in their day-to-day -day life. Dr. Luke, who was the author of Acts, tells us in chapter 1 that after Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension to heaven, the disciples of Jesus gathered in that upper room this is uh, chapter 1, verse 14. And they all joined together constantly in prayer. That's what they were doing when the Holy Spirit fell upon them and the church was born. 
Acts chapter 2, 42, tells us that they then devoted, continued to devote themselves to prayer. They all prayed, not just a select few, not just the apostles or the church leaders. Everybody prayed. And then the stories recounted in Acts 3. They take place because the apostles Peter and John, they were on their way to a prayer meeting. And they get arrested. They get put in jail. They get beat up a little bit. And then they're released. And in Acts 4, the church then holds a prayer meeting to thank God that Peter and John were free. And they prayed that God would give them greater boldness to continue to share the good news of Christ. Acts 6, the role of deacon was created as a means of offloading the caring ministries of the church from off the shoulders of the apostles so that they could focus in on two things, teaching and prayer. Acts 7, we see Stephen, the first martyr, praying as he dies. As persecution grows against the church in Acts 8, we see the apostles relying on prayer as they heal and demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 9, it is the voice of Christ which knocks Saul off his horse, brings him to faith. The chain is in his heart, a change in his heart necessitates a change in his name. And so from that point on, he becomes Paul, whose exploits basically take up the last half of the book of Acts. In chapters 9 and 10, God speaks to Peter and a Roman military officer named Cornelius, guides both their circumstances to bring them together. And Cornelius, his family, his associates, they become the first non-Jewish people to embrace the gospel of Christ. Every chapter of the books of Acts, book of Acts is filled with prayer. Prayer was not just a last-ditch effort in an emergency. They're not praying because of prayer's therapeutic benefits. Prayer was their vital connection to Christ. Prayer was like breathing to them. It was a natural part of their whole life as followers of Jesus. Not formal prayers chanted out of a book, but speaking to the Lord passionately and personally from their own hearts. You see, prayer is what fueled the church. And so we come to Acts 12 this morning, where King Herod is continuing to persecute the church. Herod had arrested James, the brother of John, and had had him executed. He then arrested Peter, was planning on executing him, but it got postponed because of a holiday called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. So Peter gets locked in a dungeon. He's chained by both wrists to two different guards. There are two other guards standing watch at the door. And from an earthly perspective, there appeared to be no hope for Peter. And of course, all the Christian believers wanted him to get out. How, how were they going to accomplish that? What power did they have to bring to the situation? Could they form an action committee? Could they circulate a petition? Could they call on influential friends? Could they bribe somebody? You know, could they find some way to do like a Mission Impossible deal and break him out of prison? No, it says in verse 5, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. They had a prayer meeting. How ridiculous. They turned to the Lord, but not as a last act of desperation but as an opportunity to ask God to bring glory to himself, whatever happened. They'd already seen Stephen killed. They'd already seen James, the brother of John, beheaded. They knew it was entirely possible that this was the end for Peter. Their specific prayer isn't recorded for us in Scripture, but when they prayed, I'm sure they prayed like they did back in chapter 4, the first time Peter was arrested. Chapter 4, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with greater boldness. Stretch out your hands to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And what happens next is really comical. 
God hears their prayers, and during the night, God sends an angel to release Peter from his chains, an angel who then leads Peter by the hand out of the prison unharmed. And Peter, for him, it's like he's sleepwalking. He's not sure what's happening to him is, is actually real. It might just be a dream. He kind of snaps out of it once, once he discovers that he's out on the street outside uh, the prison. And then the Bible uh, says this. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You are out of your mind, they told her. When she kept on insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Poor Rhoda. Nobody believed her. You must be out of your mind. It's so funny. They're inside praying up a storm, and they can't be bothered by the fact that the answer to their prayers is literally knocking on their door. Prayer changes things. Let's look at that verse 5 again. Let me say it again. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Here's three quick things I want us to remember about prayer and the way the early church prayed. First, their prayer was to God. Their prayer was to God, which begs the question, I mean, who are you praying to? The object of your prayers is important. And some people might say, you know, aren't all prayers to God? Well, no. no. I mean, I think most of the praying that's going on is just people talking to themselves or talking to a God, small g, of their own creation. In most prayers, people are thinking of themselves more than they're thinking of the will and the purposes of the risen Lord Jesus. It's easy to take, you know, the name of God on your lips, but to have no real consciousness of God in your heart. When we pray, God is inviting us to have an audience with him, the king of the universe. And so it's his will, his purposes, his very being that has to be uppermost in our minds as we begin to pray. The early church, they knew who they were praying to. Second, they prayed earnestly. They prayed fervently. It's the same word the Apostle Paul uses when he talks about prayer in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, pray without ceasing. It literally means stretched outedly. The image is that of Olympic sprinters getting ready for the 100-meter dash. I mean, you can feel the tension in the air as they take their marks. The gun goes off, and they charge down the track, you know, veins popping out on their foreheads, every muscle every nerve stretched out towards the goal. And at the finish line, they lean forward to the tape, stretched out. That same word is used in Luke chapter 22 to describe Jesus' prayer in the garden, where it says, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. How much intensity is there in your prayers? If there's no heart, no passion, no energy in your prayers, I mean, why should God take them seriously? If our prayers have so little heart, mean so little to us, why should God pay any attention to them? God says to the people of Israel, Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. All your heart. Our prayers need passion. Our prayers need passion. Our prayers need to come from deep within. Do we really believe in what we're praying about? 
Third, prayer was made specifically for Peter. They did specifically pray for God's intervention in that situation. This was intercessory prayer. And God wants us to pray specifically. You know, most of our prayers are kind of so vague, you don't really even know when they've been answered. You know, bless so-and-so. Well, how do you measure that? How do you know that's an answer to prayer? That's why I like to keep a prayer notebook where I write down specifically what I'm praying for. It reminds me to keep praying about it and then follow up later and write down, how did God answer? I would really encourage you to consider starting a simple prayer journal like that. Just write down some specific prayers because it brings you greater confidence as you see God begin to, to answer him, you and record his answers. Earnest prayer to God. Friends, why can't 2021 be the best year ever? Why can't it be the best year ever for you and for our church? Why not? It could be if we really believe that God answers prayer and that prayer changes things. Let's be people who really believe there is a God out there who loves us, who desires to interact with us, who wants us to pray, wants us to live on the basis of those prayers. In Matthew 7, 7, Jesus gives us this great encouragement to pray. He has, says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Let's go into 2021 as though we actually take Jesus seriously. That we actually believe in the power of prayer. Amen. Let's do that now. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this passage that reminds us of the power of prayer when we pray earnestly with our hearts, Lord. Stir our hearts to become better prayers this coming year, Lord. To pray with intensity, to pray continually, not just to pray once and give up, but to pray over and over and over again, Lord, until we see your answer, Lord. And we know that you will. Not always will you say yes, but you will always answer our prayers, Lord. So give us that faith and that hope in this coming year. Make this the best year ever. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.